0: Today is supposed to be opening day. It is not. We're supposed to be watching baseball games in a little bit, and obviously we can't be doing that because of the coronavirus pandemic. And we don't know when we're going to be playing baseball games, so we kind of brought this podcast back after a brief hiatus out of necessity because we need to be talking baseball kind of, I mean, in part for our own mental health, just to kind of stay sane through all this. But hopefully... Sooner rather than later, if all is safe, we will be playing baseball. We just don't really know when. We're going to talk about all that in just a bit. This is the return of the Scott Podcastnik with me and intern Matt, starting now. Let's go!
1: Two. From From
0: so, a day so baseball's trying to figure out how to fit in what they they want to still play 162 games or the abbreviated 144 games like they did in 1995 which no one seems to really complain about. Um, no one really even thinks about the fact that they had a shortened season. So 144 games is fine. 162 games seems bananas, especially if they don't start the season until June or July. Um, but Scott Boris, who most people in general don't even really like, I mean, I kind of respect the man. It's kind of like, you know, you don't have to like him, but like you respect the hustle. Yeah. Like, he, like he's just, he's the best at what he does. Like I, 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 can get frustrated with the guy, especially if like Chris Bryant leaves the Cubs because Scott Boris wanted um, him to get every last penny out of the Dodgers or something. I can be frustrated with how good he is at his job, but I respect the man. I respect the hustle. He's proposing both two different proposals, 162 and 144 to the league. And it's crazy to think about like, if they're going to have a 162 game schedule, how would they actually even fit it in? Because, they're starting the season in the summer. But his plan specifically states that game six of the World Series, if played, would take place on Christmas Day, which is normally reserved the Lord's Day. for the NBA. And uh, yes, the Lord, I, I, I my priorities were kind of small there, uh, but the NBA has a bunch of Christmas Day games is what you kind of think about when you think about sports or the Hawaii Bowl played on Christmas Eve. You often think of that, but the World Series on Christmas Day, Matthew, your thoughts.
1: I love it. I think the NBA has had a monopoly on uh, has had a monopoly on Christmas Day entertainment for too long. Even the NFL is afraid of playing games on Christmas Day. Uh, and having a like weird college football neutral site uh, World Series game would be amazing and a very fitting end to like such a weird sports year. Like it's already weird that they've canceled so many things that just being like, Hey, remember when like game six of the world series was played on Christmas day. That that's like a good, just like cherry on the top of a weird thing.
0: Yeah. See, that's that I thought about the neutral site thing at first. I'm like, I don't like that. Especially if like, cause like if the Cubs are playing the Yankees or the twins or something, you can't play those world series games outdoors but you could play at miller park you could play i think scott boris proposed some uh sites in like california okay i'll we'll play at dodger stadium i would fly out for it
1: i yeah, would gladly fly to it's LA. It's such a unique experience like if it doesn't get canceled i'm supposed to be going to the uh cups london game like it's 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 the same like weird i'm i one of the if i could transport myself to any one event it would be when carlos imbrano threw the no-hitter at miller park against the astros mm-hmm. because it's such a weird like there were like 2000 people in the stands and it was a weird neutral site and he threw a no-hitter why wouldn't you want to be like it's already weird and i understand the people that want to travel or whatever but it's still such a weird baseball's already a weird sport why not make it as weird as possible by doing this
0: and there and there really are no neutral site baseball games ever there's, what about the uh, Little
1: League Classic?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's the Little League Classic, and then there's these um, games played in Japan and in London and Mexico. Those are the only examples of neutral site games, but they're always kind of like there's a novelty to them. It's the Little League Classic, is, which I think is dumb. I don't know if you agree, but I think the Little League Classic is kind of dumb. Why do we care about these kids in the, in the stands? Like, they're supposed to make it cool, like they're sliding down the – the cardboard boxes down the, the hill and like you have like the kids watching in the stands and they like interview a few of them. Like, why do I, why do I give a shit about?
1: Would you, would you care if they played the game on a little league field? <laughs> that'd be more. <laughs> it, was, it was 60. It was a 60 foot base pass. There would be, that'd be the best. And what, like a 46 foot uh pitching mound.
0: That would make way more sense. And then instead of doing that, cause I like who really cares about the little league? I, I think adults that have no attachment to the little league teams that watch the little league world series on TV are a little weird to begin with. And I now we're going to up the little league classic, just because these two teams are playing in front of little league players it doesn't make any sense. Or you have the field of dreams game in Iowa. Like who gives a fuck? Like you're taking like an average movie at best and just saying it. you're not even playing at the field of dreams stadium. You're not even playing like in a cornfield. You're playing at whatever the fuck uh, replacement field they're doing for field of dreams. So every neutral site game has either been a novelty for ESPN to broadcast, like those two that I mentioned, or they've been trying to expand the game globally to Japan or Mexico or now London, which is where you're scheduled to go in June. I don't think that's going to happen. But I don't think
1: it's going to happen either.
0: And not just because of baseball reasons, I think. Just because baseball reasons on top of the international travel, they'll probably end up canceling
1: that. Yes.
0: So, but there's never been like, so like in the NFL, there's the Super Bowl, obviously always neutral site. All college football bowl games, neutral site. College basketball has a ton of neutral site uh, tournaments in the season that are, aren't for novelty. They're just neutral sites, they're fun. Um, the NBA doesn't really do neutral sites either, um, but they have a monopoly, really, not just Christmas Day, like you mentioned, but they do special things for Martin Luther King Day because it falls in the season. They have um, Thanksgiving, even though that's really good for the NFL. They they play around that weekend. Um, They they have a lot of special events in the season. Baseball doesn't really do that, besides these bullshit novelty things.
1: And they do, or they do something with like the uniforms, and they say that's like good enough. Like Jackie Robinson Day, like everyone wears like the forty two, and like I'm not saying you shouldn't celebrate Jackie Robinson. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, But it would be cooler if they just like like went full bore like the uh the bases are full of chalk like they used to be when he played and all that other crazy stuff like that'd be amazing
0: or or like um the players weekend where you this year this past year they totally botched it by wearing all white and all black that made no sense but that's that's uh kind of what baseball does for special things so i think the neutral site thing is actually kind of fun i think if if the cubs i'm just throwing them in the world series again because of the cold weather city the Cubs and the Twins played the World Series at Dodger Stadium all seven games. You probably wouldn't have to have rest in between because there's no travel. Mm-hmm. That'd be awesome. And you have baseball in December, which has never happened.
1: What about the World – isn't the World Baseball Classic during December? Well,
0: basically you're making that up. It's during March because it always conflicted with spring training. Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't know why always, I
1: thought it was in December.
0: Teams December would get kind of kind – of, uh, testy about, like, should their players go play in a World Baseball Classic or should they be in spring training? Which has always been the conflict of that. But we should have baseball year-round, and you don't you don't need that long offseason. Right now, they're taking rest right now. They have January, February, start spring training late next year, and everything will be fine. I think baseball's the one sport that can kind of, you know, mess around with their schedule and, and, and change things.
1: I agree. I think besides, like, golf, baseball is, like, the most laggard behind of, like stuff they should be doing to be more modern
0: yeah they also have the benefit right now of having their season not start so they can kind of they have the most flexibility in how they proceed with this um whereas the nba and the nhl are nearing the playoffs and that kind of throws a wrench into things now the nhl has toyed with doing a 24 team playoff which just seems Silly to me. I'm not a big as big of a hockey fan as you are, but it just seems kind of crazy to me the idea of as a compromise to the season being shortened, adding 24 teams, and the NBA. I would think should the the most logical thing was would just be to start the playoffs when whenever they can and it's end the regular season. But I guess they want to finish the regular season and then go play the playoffs in August and September, which is cool too. We could have the basketball in September and and. And baseball in December. I
1: don't know it's kind amazing. of yeah. I mean the the year is already screwed up. I'm just saying. Do who cares? Throw all the rules out the window. Play the play the All Star game in December like the Pro Bowl. <laughs> do it the week. Do it the week before. Uh, have a have an off week. Do it. The, <clears throat> do the All Star game the week before the World Series at a neutral site. There's an idea. I like play that idea. Too free idea rob manfred
0: and they can play it in hawaii just as a pro bowl because then the weather would be
1: fine
0: i i mean the fact they seem committed to playing 162 or at least 144 which i think is more likely makes it seem like it could be plausible that we do have winter baseball like it seems silly to read the scott boris thing but baseball really seems committed to wanting to play 162 games or close to it And the only way that they're going to be able to do that is to push this thing into at least November and maybe December.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's all money. Like people who keep saying like that the baseball season is too long and it's 162 games and more people would watch it. If it's 140 games, no owner is going to sign anything to say like, I'm going to make less money on purpose. Right. That's never going to happen.
0: Right. The only way I think they could maybe get around that, and, and this is what I would propose, is, is reducing the season to either one fifty four or one forty four, and then making the playoffs longer. And then obviously, for teams that aren't in the playoffs, they have to have some kind of revenue share with the the TV ratings and everything. But a longer postseason makes sense to me. Like, like the NBA playoffs go almost two months.
1: That's too and long.
0: Like, it's too long. But but in terms of money, like that that works for everybody. Like nobody would complain about that. I think the baseball playoffs could easily add like a week.
1: Absolutely. Well, the whole idea idea of the wild card thing was like talking about novelty, like the major league baseball, like does novelties in like the wrong, the wrong setting. Like a wild, the wild card game is is a good novelty, but like the whole point of baseball is that it's in series and it's like based on averages. And then you throw all that out for one game which, like, it makes for a lot of cool stories and stuff, but it's it makes no sense to me that, like, you pride, like, the law of averages and people regressing to the mean and things like that over 162 games. That's, like, part of the reason why you play a series. Yeah. And then you get to the playoffs, you're like, oh, one game, like, hopefully your pitcher, like, doesn't feel like shit today. Totally. Like, cool. I
0: mean, those games, it's a mixed bag because those games are always really exciting for the most part because do or die is, is the most exciting thing, but at the same time, it's stupid. Especially stupid thing about 2015 when the best team in baseball was the Cardinals, 162, the, the pirates were second at 98 and uh, will be 98 and 64. And then the Cubs were third at 97 and 65. And all three of those teams were in the same division. And because of the baseball playoffs, the way they're seated is so stupid and archaic. The Cardinals obviously had the one seed. And then the Pirates and the Cubs, having not won their division, have to play each other in a one-game playoff. Even though they're the second and third best teams, not just in in the National League but in baseball, the Pirates had their season ended in one in one night, even though they won ninety eight games.
1: And I feel like if if they ever change the wild card rules, like the Pirates, Pirates fans, and the Pirates need to like speak up the most because I feel like they've gotten screwed the most in this playoff. Yeah, uh, in this playoff format
0: yeah all, all 12 of them should speak up uh but yeah so i think one um if they didn't get to play 162 one thing they could do is experiment with some of rob manfred's new postseason ideas and and run with those so like um he wanted to do uh um, additional wildcard teams which i'm not totally against there's the idea of making the division series seven games which i've always thought it should be absolutely be seven games um i i think that's fine too and and if you're going to eliminate the one game i I think the ideal playoff format the ideal season for me is 144 or 154 i can't really i'm not i'm not a schedule expert so i can't really say for certain
1: gonna have to speak with the traveling secretary about that
0: yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm no traveling secretary. Um, but less regular season games and then maybe like a th- best of three the wild card round, but not using the, the wild cards. I think they should, let me back up even more. They should expand to 32 teams and have eight divisions
1: of four teams. Where would you put those two teams?
0: I, I've never had a really good answer for this, but I think one in Montreal and then maybe one in Charlotte. I'll just throw out a few cities and you can tell me what you think. Charlotte, Nashville, Oklahoma City, Portland, Las Vegas. I think I'm forgetting one or two that have been named. Some people say Omaha, but that's, I don't think that's that's realistic or makes yeah. much sense.
1: Well, and you have to pick teams that already don't have minor league franchises because the yeah, Royals know. AAA affiliate <clears throat> is in Omaha.
0: You could, but then you could also just move you could move the AAA affiliate somewhere else. Cause it's more it means more to the the city getting the team that they have a major league team. Like Oklahoma City has a minor league team. Um, San Antonio has a minor league team, Charlotte has a minor league team. Like it's really hard, like Montreal does not, but it's really hard to find teams without a AAA or double AA affiliate that would kind of be slighted and all
1: that. Yeah, well, I think it would be mostly, like, there are so many teams on the East Coast, and I'd love to see another a team come back to Montreal. But, like, where are they going to play in the NL East?
0: <clears throat> well, they'd have to move the divisions around. Like, you'd have a division, let's say the Expos come back. You'd have a division that's, like, Mets, Expos, Phillies, Nationals. And then you'd have, like, the National League South would be, like, Braves, Marlins let's just for the sake of conversation, say Charlotte and Cincinnati would be like the, the almost like NFC South NL South. And then you have like Cubs, Brewers, Cardinals, Pirates, Pirates, I guess. I mean, it kind of like, it's kind of easy. I mean, you might have to move a team over. I'm just making this up in my head as I go along. The, the, The West would be like Dodgers, Giants, Padres, Diamondbacks, the Rockies might have to move to the American League then. But, it, I mean, it, it's, it's it's what the NFL did when they when they expanded when the Texans came and they moved to eight divisions of four teams. It, it makes more sense. And their, the NFL playoff format makes more sense, even though you could have a wild card team that has a better record than a division winner and has to play on the road. But I think in baseball, you should just have – even if you go go that route, because home field advantage, I think, in baseball matters way less than it does in football or basketball. You could have um, a much more fair wild card system. You do a best of three, let's say, for the wild card round. Then the winners of that move into a best of seven, and the best of seven, and the best of seven. because the division series best of five? You can't really you're throwing out an entire season when you could really just have three out of four bad games. Yes, but you can't really. I've never thought the the division series was that fair.
1: I didn't either. Well, I think like to do something at five games and seven games. Seven is like the ideal number. I don't know. I would almost, I if it were up to me, I would do 162 games, seven game world uh, wild card, seven game world <laughs> series, seven game championship, and seven game world series.
0: I mean, I'm fine with that too.
1: Make it a gauntlet.
0: I'm, I, I, would, I would be, I would sign off
1: on that. Cause I but think the- that's, that's like what I, a lot of people say that the, the hardest championship to win is the Stanley cup. And a lot of that is because there are, there's 16 teams in the playoffs, but every series is seven games. I think. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's like a grind every single time. You have to be the better team at least for four games, every series to win. You can't just like get right. hot and like,
0: well, that that's why the Division the Series is bullshit is because you can get hot or you can, you can play matchups to get you to, to, like, even if you're the inferior team, you can play matchups to get through the series. Perfect example. And you can go listen to the tapes of this podcast, assuming these episodes weren't deleted. They might have been, I don't know. Back in 2016, the Cleveland Indians, I always thought the Red Sox were going to win the pennant that year and face the Cubs in the World Series and ultimately lose. But the Indians and credit and, to and Terry Francona for using what he had just bullpenned the Red Sox to death. They would go – because their starting rotation really at the time wasn't that great. Trevor Bauer wasn't what he is now. Um, they would have the starter go, you know, get a quality start, get into the fifth inning, then go to the bullpen. Maybe even – I have to look back to the box course met series, maybe even pull them in the fourth inning. Then go to Andrew Miller for two or three innings. Then go to Brian you, – you could just use your three best relievers – um, and extend them. And that can work over that small sample size. The, the, the Rays, I feel like, k- tried to do that last year against the Astros, but the talent gap was just so big. Like, they could have easily just tried to do matchups and try to get through the series. Um, but you can get away with that in a five game series. Now, the, the 2016 Indians were able to do that because they swept the Red Sox, then they beat the Blue Jays in five and never really got into a precarious situation where the hitters were seeing their, their pitchers over and over and over again. Then when they got into the World Series, going up 3-1, it was going to work again. But because they lost Game 5, they had to shuffle back all the way because that was the second time Trevor Bauer pitched. Now, all of a sudden, the Cubs are seeing every pitcher now for a sixth game. They're seeing starters for a third time. I saw Corey Kluber three times. Now, all of a sudden, that strategy doesn't work because you can get exposed in seven games, and the better team is more likely to win.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: I mean, if you like upsets, maybe you like the five-game series, but – I just they don't like upsets, but I think if I was like an well, Astros are a bad example because everyone hates them. Let's They're say the Yan- yeah. <laughs> Let's say the Yankees uh, win a hundred games this year and play the the A's, who win the wild card in the ALDS, and the A's won the wild card with like eighty seven wins and had three or four starting pitchers they could depend on and use the opener, you know, like every fifth day and the A's bullpen Yankees to death and won the series in 4 games. I'd be frustrated as a Yankees fan like yeah my team didn't show up in those 5 games, but it wasn't a true testament to who was the more talented team cuz I think if you just play the 5th, 6th and 7th game more often than not the more talented team would win.
1: Yeah, if if you do it as like a simulation, I would think so.
0: So do you do you think do you want them to try to play 162 games?
1: Uh, well, I like chaos, so yes, but I th- I think in terms of like practicality, it's almost impossible unless you do something crazy, like a neutral site game six, uh, Christmas day game. Um, or you do the other option, which is like almost a double header, like every day, uh, which would also be sweet to watch, but I don't I just think from a like i feel like whenever they do whenever this does kind of slow down and they decide that to i think that what's going to be harder is like figuring out the timing of like when we should like when it's like okay to like do stuff again and i just think that the uh the players are going to, like, want a, another, like, small spring training, and that's going to take a couple weeks. And that might be exhibition games, like, at home and, like, you know, whatever. But I think the the start, like, the ramp-up process is going to be much higher than people think. Like, it's not just going to be like, okay, well, we're going to start games tomorrow. I Like, we, you know, and then we'll just, like, move everything back. I don't think it's going to work that way. And so... Yeah, I think it's way more likely that we'll have 144 game, uh, um, season. But I, as a person who loves chaos, I'd love to see 162 games and see people lose their minds over the traditions of baseball going out the window.
0: Well, I, I woke up today thinking just practically give me 144, give me 132. And that's fine. Like, I'll sign up for that because that's the more doable thing and then have some double headers maybe if you had to. But now after reading the Scott Boris thing, I, I just want complete chaos. If Rob Manfred really wants to play 162, which seems weird giving, coming from him who just wants to like get rid of baseball, then <laughs> let's do it. Let's let's play on New Year's Day. Let's let's finish the season in January. And the, the people who say like
1: – Watch the Rose Bowl and then watch the World Series. <laughs>
0: that would be Perfect. Play the World Series in the Rose Bowl. Um, The people that say uh, spring training is too long, I'm kind of – I get it. I'm kind of with it. Um, Ryan Braun famously a couple seasons ago said, like, we don't get paid for spring training. Well, he should just shut the hell up because that's a tone-deaf thing to say. But the reason spring training is long to begin with is mostly for pitchers, more so than position players. And I, it's frustrating to think like we have to have this grand ramped up spring training to do it all over again, but to a degree it is true. I think you need to at least do like three weeks of simulated games. Um, I I think that'd be fine. So let's say we get the okay on Memorial day, that large gatherings are okay again. That means we'll be playing baseball in like mid June, regular season baseball.
1: So, So, well, I would do it like instead of like a spring training, I would do it like, you count whatever so like we've already lost whatever games and you just count like you say whatever games are on the schedule are just their exhibitions so like instead of like oh well we all have to go back to our facilities and blah 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 and like do all this other spring training like instructional garbage I think it would like everything would and I, I think a lot of what their considerations are around are like the fans and like the fans being pissed that they don't They're not getting to go to the games that either they pay for or are planning to go to and just saying like, okay, well, this is on the schedule already Uh, for the next, the next three weeks of games are exhibitions. They don't count, but they'll still be played at the stadiums that they're supposed to be played at. I think would be kind of, that'd be kind of a cool thing to see. Oh, that would be cool.
0: Yeah. That makes sense to me, which thing of paid games, you and I paid for a lot of games. Um, Because after a 14-year wait, I was called for Cub season tickets, and you bought a portion of the games, and we were supposed to go to opening day on Monday. Um, And now opening day, this is – I'm being overly optimistic here and and positive, but as bummed out as I am, and I think you are and a lot of people are, I'm kind of excited for the idea of going to opening day in June – over like this long hiatus and this long national crisis and the idea of like everybody going to the first baseball game in the middle of summer and being like really excited to be like just normal again, it's going to be pretty cool.
1: Yeah. And it'll for sure be nice. Like the, the problem with opening day in Chicago is that you could, it could either be like 60 or like 30 and snowing. So like just knowing that like more likely than not, you'll have like a good thing. Uh, I also agree with like I love I'm holding on to the fact that like how great it's going to feel once like everything's back to like quote unquote normal Uh, not to compare I there I've seen a lot of articles like comparing this crisis to 9-11 and I don't want to compare it specifically to that but just like seeing like from what I remember as a first grader uh, seeing like when baseball started again and just like kind of how great that like you know, just almost that like attempt at normalcy was. Yeah, I think will be like really like life affirming when it does happen. And what's like what I always thought about baseball, and the reason I like baseball so much is because it always just like re- like kind of returns that like childish feeling of like it's summer and like I get to do whatever I want and this is great and blah blah blah, and you know, returning to normalcy as- associated with going to baseball games again and being in kind of the throng of people and, you know, being a part of something that's bigger than yourself, I think is pretty – that's what's keeping me going. That's my PSA. I, I
0: No, I agree because I think about that a lot. Like it'll be – let's just say like the second week of June. The Cubs might now open at home depending on how the schedule shakes up. Um, and if you – like we were too young for nine eleven, and that's obviously – a much different event where you had three thousand people die at once. It was completely unexpected. Like this, we have been hearing about it for months. It's a completely it's a different thing. You shouldn't compare the two things. But that was only a week layoff, um, and you can go back and watch the videos of the first games happening. And, and just to use the Kyle example of Sammy Sosa running the right field with the American flag, and then homering in that game, and Billy Williams, who's first base coach at the time, giving him. A flag as he rounded first base, like it was—it's ridiculous. And I'm sure now, because I'm a, i I'm am I'm just like a sap—I would probably cry if I saw that on TV, if it was happening in real time. And it's probably going to be a similar environment because now it's not just like—I don't think we'll have a—it won't be like because of a death toll, but the fact that everyone's lives were interrupted and their mm-hmm. the things they cared about and their hobbies were taken away from them, and people are going stir crazy in their homes when they do return to something like that, like an event like that, that they can share with 35, 40,000 other people, it's just going to be really overwhelming. And I, I'm kind of excited for it.
1: Well, and the other thing too, is like, no matter how good your team was, you always like, like the cliche with Cubs fans before they won the world series was like, Oh, there's always next year. And this is the first time that there isn't a next year. Like we don't know when there will be a this year. Uh, So like, that's the other part of it too, is that like baseball, you know, it's like death taxes and baseball season starting in March was like always something that you could count on, and this is showing that you don't take those things for granted. So it's kind of like it's interesting that, of course, like the you know to kind of see that from a, a sociological perspective.
0: Yeah, it's something I've thought a lot about, and it sounds cliche, but I think everyone can relate to this in some ways, since we're all going through the same thing at once. Is not just taking things for granted, but you've never really thought as a thought exercise, <clears throat> what your, what life would be like if you took away your favorite sport, if you took away you, your favorite bar, you took away your favorite restaurant and like, you can't even have friends over to like, you know, sit around and play cards. Like if you took away all your favorite things, I've, I've never done that as a thought exercise. Like what would life be like? And you can't even go outside. Like I went, I have a, small balcony in my apartment and i went out on it last night because i hadn't gotten any fresh air in the entire day and i was just starting to go nuts playing uh, ncaa basketball 09 on my ps3 for like four hours and i stepped outside at like 10 p.m and there was no cars i heard no one talking no dogs nothing it was eerie it sounded like the suburbs and i'm and not that i live in a super busy street but you could always hear something and like this is it's, it's shocking to the system, all this stuff, because it's not something any of us have ever even thought about the possibility of, like like a t- the idea of a terrorist attack. And even though we've both said we're not going to compare the two things, we've both compared it like four times now. The idea of a terrorist attack is something you can like wrap your mind around the idea of it. It doesn't make it any easier to deal with. But this is the reason this is a unique, uniquely just it, it, it's bizarre because we didn't anticipate this coming and we don't like, we don't understand it. Like it wasn't a thing that we could, you know, prepare for mentally.
1: Well, there, that, and there's, like, a beginning and an end to those sorts of things, and, like, usually like, these other sorts of major events, like, uh, don't disrupt, like, except for, I guess, like, World War Two, and I don't want to compare this to World War Two because I'm just sitting at home in my sweatpants playing Xbox all day, but uh, just, like, we we as a generation haven't like experienced anything that like is so disruptive to your daily life that it's like really hard to fathom and not knowing when it's going to end is also tough because it's like okay well we're shutting everything down for two weeks and then like someone from the cdc will say something like oh well this could be going on until next year it's like okay well which is it Mm -hmm. or is it's it's probably somewhere in the middle but you're just it's really tough to think about things in an isolation not knowing when they're going to end.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's not knowing when it's going to end. It's not just like the fear of the virus and the idea of having to stay in, but it's like you think in terms of all the things that you had planned for yourself personally throughout the year and the things you look forward to in a given year and then you're like wondering, will the NFL season start on time? Will college football start on time? Will um, like either weddings and going to the summer like there's so many things you think about on your personal calendar where it's like oh that might be taken away and that might be taken away and that's the thing I think that makes us unique and um, how it affects people is you're just like taking things away and there's the un- the uncertainty of it really
1: yeah exactly yeah.
0: alright let's take a quick break and we're back conversation we were having a uh, earlier today off recording um or talking about so something you and i have both done a lot while we we're quarantined is watching the marquee sports network which say what you will about comcast say what you will about dish network all this stuff marquee sports network is getting getting me through a really dark time right now i've watched everything on marquee sports network and i think it is fantastic
1: and i can't wait what's next. even bad. like the motocross or the air races, if you Actually, that. I have not
0: bit bits and pieces of that because I've just, like, stumbled on it and been like, all right, whatever. Um, I can't wait to see what they do when they actually have real live programming because they, they weren't prepared for this either. But um, you watch today – or you, today is in uh, Wednesday, recording this on a Wednesday. That's a nice technique podcasters often do. Bill Simmons is the king of that, saying, we're recording this on a Sunday –
1: as if, As if really that not- matters, and he's like, "Do you think he's, we're recording this on a Sunday? Do you think that Tom Brady's the best quarterback of all time?" It's like <laughs> that has nothing to do with it.
0: Um, do you think? Okay, so backing up, you watched the program of of top how many Cubs was that? Top twenty Cubs?
1: I don't know. It was like it was very. I had it with the sound off, so it was kind of hard to follow. But I think it was supposed to be the top twenty Cubs. But like every time they came back from commercial, it's like just missed, and then it would be. You know, like Carl Zambrano or uh, Mike Fonda. Sam fold or something. And uh, so I don't know what the official number was. I like did it. I came in like with like eight people left. So, but that's besides the point.
0: But the point is, so the, the list was kind of bananas because it had a, a large recency bias.
1: Some 23 year old who just moved to Lakeview in 2015 made the list. Apparently.
0: Yeah. So um, what got us talking about older players first cap Anson was the first one we started talking about and uh, not just like 1800s, but every generation and how there are these statistical anomalies based on how baseball was played in that generation. And so like I'll pull a few out and, and, and you can mention a few of just like some of your favorite weird statistical anomalies to look at, like Cap Anson in 1881. Yes. Hit 399 with a 442 on base percentage and a 510 selling percentage. He hit, he hit one home run.
1: Did they even have like fences?
0: Well, so I don't that's remember the... when, I don't know when fences came. Cause I know baseball started without them. Um, Cause he, he so from 1871, to 1875, he didn't hit any home runs. <laughs> uh, he hit two in 1876, so the first year that baseball was really recognized, and then after that, he hit a total of three for the next seven years. And then, so there must have been some kind of change in the 1883 1884 offseason, because he hit 21 home runs in
1: 1884. Uh, it's just insane. I just think my favorite one is from 1881 just like the fact that he had that cap anson had 192 ops plus what <laughs> what's the what's league average like 100 like that's insane
0: yeah yeah it's bananas so like there there are players i this is this weird thing i, I love when i'm scrolling going through baseball reference and our conversation today sparked it where you go to different eras and you look at something like old Haas, Radburn starting 69 games in a season or 68 games, whatever it was, and pitching like 670 innings, like a record that will never be broken, but it's just hilarious to look at from a different generation. Now, Babe Ruth is the king of this. Um, Babe Ruth in – let's just take – we'll take his 19 – there's so many of them that it's hard to pick just one. His 1923 season. He had 41 home runs. 45 doubles. His slash line, he only struck out 93 times and walked 170 times. Well, how, line,
1: here's a question How many times, how many strikeouts did he have as a pitcher?
0: Uh, in his career as a pitcher?
1: No, in that year. Or did he not play?
0: No, that was, that was, he, he stopped pitching in 1921. Oh. But I'll, I'll, I'll find a year to compare. Actually, let's finish up the point in 1923. He slashed 393, 545, 764. His OPS plus was 239.
1: 239?
0: 239. But I'll take a year where he actually pitched like a full season. So in 19 – so his last year really as a full-time – not full-time, but like where he logged consistent innings. So 1918 when um, his Red Sox beat the Cubs in the World Series. He pitched 166 innings, 222 ERA. He struck out – he just struck out 40 batters, actually, in that year. But that year, as a hitter in 1918, he struck out 58 times. So, I mean, it's comparable, which is still kind of bananas.
1: Yes. When you contribute basically as many strikeouts as a pitcher as you do as a hitter is pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. So another one we were looking at, like, Jumping ahead, it's not just, like, 100 years ago. It's, like, the 70s have some crazy pitching. Like, pitching, decade by decade, starting pitcher numbers started to, you know, become more normal to what we know them now. Um, But in the 1970s, uh, the best pitchers in baseball were starting 40 games a year, which you won't see now. And that lasted um, for a while into the 80s. Um, and now like post Nolan Ryan, you're never going to see anything close to that, but Fergie Jenkins, who is the best Cubs pitcher of all time of the modern era, at least 1971, we brought this up 39 starts 30 complete games.
1: I wonder how many of those complete games he lost. Cause I feel like that's another seventies thing where it's like you, a guy would like throw a complete game and like lose four to one. Like it didn't make no sense.
0: Like uh, not even just the seven, like it was common back then, but in 1996, you and I have both watched this game. uh, I think it was 90. Yeah. 96 Cubs beat the Mets on a walk-off home run by Sammy Sosa, a three run walk-off home run. And um, Paul Wilson, who was the Mets starting pitcher that day gave up the walk-off home run because he was still pitching in the game. That's like the weirdest thing about watching I remember Kerry Wood once pitched a complete game, three-two loss in like two thousand three or four. And I remember being like,
1: "Dusty Baker,
0: yeah." I remember being like, "What the fuck?" Like he got a complete game and lost. But so okay, do you have any uh, other weird, weird? uh...
1: Who was the one we were looking at uh, earlier today? That you? Oh,
0: Mike Marshall, who was the best relief pitcher of the 70s and 80s, really before um, relief pitchers were a thing for the most part. Um, He holds the record for most relief appearances in a season with a 106 in 1974. He won the Cy Young that year, too. Yes. He he pitched 106 games out of the bullpen. The year before, he pitched 92 games out of the bullpen. 106 games out of the bullpen, 21 saves, 208 innings pitched in 857 batter's face. Yeah, that's an MVP voting too. That's like four times the year of a really good relief pitcher now.
1: Yeah. Cause I think I looked up like Araldus Chapman in 2016. He had he faced like 220 batters. And he gets paid like ten million dollars a year. It's insane.
0: Yeah, so it got me thinking a little bit, and one more note on Mike Marshall. Um, the most recent pitcher To This is a statistical anomaly that I think should be talked about more. I don't know who's going to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it right now. The most recent pitcher to even come close to anything like that, do you you have like a wild guess of – there's one pitcher in the last – I think I can correct myself afterwards if I'm wrong – last 20 years who pitched over 90 relief appearances in a season. This is really weird, and it's not talked about at all.
1: Is it someone like, I, I, I'm thinking it's Trevor Hoffman, but I feel like that's too No, not,
0: it's not somebody like that great. Hmm. It was Solomon Torres with the <laughs> Pirates in 2006. I, don't, I need to look into this a little bit more because I've noticed this before when I'm just browsing on baseball reference looking at weird records and stuff. He pitched 94 games out of the bullpen, 12 saves, 93 innings pitched, only faced 411 batters though. So it's a fraction of what, Mike Marshall pitched. Yeah, that's half. half but half. Nine, ninety, I don't understand that at all. That he pitched ninety four games as a part time closer is odd. But anyway, I digress. Also, wait. Also, in that Pirates bullpen in two thousand six, Matt Cavs pitched eighty five games.
1: <laughs> they have like what, they have a lot of they must have had like a lot of injuries that year or something.
0: What the fuck was Jim Tracy doing in two thousand six? His team was terrible too.
1: It's like in uh, MVP where you like forget to warm up a guy in the bullpen. And he throws like 115 pitches and you're like, oh, damn it. Like I forgot to warm a guy up. Uh,
0: but so my bigger point, though, in our lifetimes, you think, let's say when we're like in our 70s, we'll look back at this generation and be like looking at box scores and, and going on baseball reference and be like, holy crap, can you believe that so-and-so player pitched or uh, hit or like whatever X amount of times? Like any, any statistic you think will be like, that's weird.
1: Well, I don't know if about, I don't know about a statistic, but I think the whole idea of like a starting pitcher is just going to like go out the window. Yeah. It's already like, it's just going to be like a bullpen game basically every, like there'll be an opener, not a starter. Mm -hmm. And so like the total number of innings will just like continue to keep going down. And I think people are going to be like, I can't, why did they like pick five guys to like start every five games? That seems stupid. Like, I just, I I think that's what people are going to say.
0: I, I totally agree. And then that what's going to happen is the game started statistic will matter less and less. Kind of like how wins and losses are mattering less and less. Yeah. Game started will be a completely irrelevant statistic. You'll have games.
1: Yeah. It'll like everyone's just going to care about like your pitching war and like strike. Well, like do you think anybody's even going to get close to 3000 strikeouts again?
0: No. So they are going to have to like move the bar on that. Like, like, 500 home runs, even. They're going to have to, like, yeah. kind of temper their expectations on that. It used to be – Hall of Fame voters are stupid, but they used to be even stupider. And that – the bar for the Hall of Fame was, like, 500 home runs, 3,000 hits, 3,000 strikeouts, 300 wins. It was if like you didn't get history. one of
1: those, then you, didn't, you weren't in – yeah.
0: Yeah, it was dumb. So I think they're just going to have to temper their expectations on all that. And now, that like, baseball is so much smarter. Like, you could argue it's less interesting to the casual fan to just be like, this guy – was worth seven and a half wins above replacement this year. So he's clearly better than the guy who was worth four. Like, that might be a less interesting, but like it's objective. So, yeah. So I, I agree with the starting pitcher thing. I think games started will be irrelevant. And like looking at innings pitched from now um, will be weird to look at because people will maybe pitch like 95 innings a year. But I also think we're going to look back and be like, how the hell did Ricky Henderson steal 106 bases in a season? Yeah,
1: the base-stealing thing, like, I can't even think of – who's, like, the preeminent base-stealer now? Like, Billy Hamilton still? Like, I don't even know who the – like, who even is that – who is even, like, the heir apparent at that? That doesn't seem – I feel like that's become – like, stealing bases become more and more of a specialty yeah. than, like, a tool. Well, like, it's it used just... to be, like, a guy has to be able to steal bases, and now, like – if you can steal bases, like you're like the last guy on the bench and then you'll be brought in to like pinch run.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, well, cause it's, it's just kind of silly. Cause you're going to be caught stealing like a third of the time and you're hurting your team's ability to score runs. If you're getting caught stealing ever. Yeah. So it's, it's a silly concept. That's why the Juan Pierce and the Billy Hamiltons are not is desired in baseball anymore. Um, so now it is looked at as a specialty where like, if you have Terrence score, like Terrence score is never going to be thrown out. So He's worth keeping around on your 26-man roster, um, or your 32-man roster if we end up expanding rosters this year. Um, but before, it used to be like Sammy Sosa is in the 30-30 club, and it's like, oh my god, he's in the 30-30 club. He must be really good. Like Alfonso Soriano is in the 40-40 club. Like, oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah. It's
1: I remember not that being a huge deal. And that's
0: why the Cubs gave him an eight-year deal because he was in the 40-40 club. Yeah, and it's just silly. Like Ronald Acuna led um, baseball with 46 stolen bases last year. Um, Trey Turner had 45 in 2018, but I don't think we're ever going to see that like 30 years down the line. We'll see like specialty based dealers, but there's no way like D Gordon is going to have a job or somebody yeah. like, well, because he'll be dead, but <laughs> a player like D Gordon won't have a job when we're 70, 80 years old because yeah. that skill set is useless.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's more, it's just more like Ricky Henry. I like, I, 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 Ricky Henderson's like prime was like way before I was even born, but the whole idea of just like I like if you if you dialed down like his makeup, it, like as a baseball player, it's like he's really cool. Like yeah, he's really cool, but also he was like the base stealer guy. Like that. Like there will never be. I don't think there's ever gonna be like another like oh he's the base stealer guy ever again. I don't think that's gonna like. Totally. Ronald Acuna is so much like that's not his best tool to like steal No, bases. yeah,
0: he's a good he's a good baseball player.
1: Yeah, um,
0: just looking at stolen base records by year um, in nineteen eighty five, so Ricky Henderson led the American League with eighty stolen bases, and Vince Coleman led the National League with one hundred and ten <laughs> stolen bases. And this is a record that'll never be broken. Is Ricky Henderson stealing one hundred and thirty bases in nineteen eighty two? Yeah. It's when you're Tim Raines stole 78 to lead the National League. That's like the, – the, these are records that just will never, ever be broken because it's it's a silly thing. And Ricky Henderson was really good at what he did. And he can also hit for power and like – one of the greatest baseball players of all time.
1: Yeah. Uh, but his thing, problem. like if you – like, it's like what was Ricky Henderson good at? People wouldn't be like, oh, he's a good power hitter. They're like, he stole bases.
0: Right, because he did it so much better – than everyone else.
1: Like he didn't make the majors because he was like, he like, he was like, he's you're right. He is one of the best players of all time, but like, he's not like a superstar because he's a good power hitter. Yeah. He was a superstar because of the base stealing.
0: Yeah. That's the one thing he did relative better relative to everyone else was just above and beyond better. But like take his year in 1990 at age 31 Slash 325, 439, 577, 28 home runs, 65 stolen bases, only caught stealing 10 times, 33 doubles, three triples, won the MVP. Like that's an all around, like, ridiculous season. The, the year yeah. he, so like the year he stole 130 bases, he obviously he led the league and caught stealing too, is caught 42 times, which is a little too much for my liking um, to where I could justify the 130, but yeah. still. Like, all around, like he was just so much better at stealing bases than everyone else, and he hit. to What I was saying about the power hitting, he hit 297 home runs for his career. No one will ever talk about that, but
1: yeah, that's because it's not. It's not 500. Don't put him in the don't put <laughs> him in
0: <the laughs> Ricky Henderson's average 162 game season was a slash line of 279 401 on base percentage. That's why he's good leadoff hitter. 419 slugging, 16 home runs, and 74 stolen bases. For an average season. And this is including the fact that at the end of his career, he was just complete ass. Like yeah, he, he stuck horrible. around way too long. He retired when he was 44 in 2003 with the Dodgers. Um, he was complete ass at the end of his career. And his, his 162 game average is still 74 stolen bases stolen.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, so this podcast is back because uh, there is no um, baseball available. Is there any last words you want to say for the inaugural episode of um, phase two of the Scott podcast, Nick? Which name we might not even necessarily keep.
1: Who knows? I don't know. I got nothing. All
0: right. Well,
1: that's it.